Hi guys and welcome back to Lawless Scotland podcast. Today we've got a special guest on the show to help me go through this case and she got to pick the case as well. It's one of my oldest friends, Emma. Emma, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, hello. Hey, I'm Emma. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm I've Emma. Never done a, no, I've never done a podcast before. I know, so. I know, I know. Emma's this never done weird. a podcast before, so she does think this is all a bit strange, which I totally has a bit strange, like the first time you start And I hate it. the sound of my voice. Yeah, well, I, I don't hate like the sound of my voice either when I first started. Mm. So why don't you um, introduce yourself, tell the people what you do in life? Not much. Well, no, I do a lot. I'm, you do a lot? Um, yeah, no, well, no, my mum to two little ones and I am a research assistant yeah just Emma from Glasgow I'm just and I've Emma from Tony. Glasgow that's <laughs> and I've known for a long long time <laughs> and we both share the, the same interest in you know true crime and life you know yeah we do we just share the same interest that's true actually because we actually have so much in common all of our like beliefs are the same and politics are all the same, mm -hmm. like the things that we like are the same, like we are quite yeah, similar. So, <laughs> but no, I'm just Emma and I've been friends with Johnny for a long, long time and she asked me to guess. Do a case and with yeah. me. Well, why don't you tell everyone what case you picked because I gave you a couple options, didn't I? Mm -hmm. And the first option I gave you, you were like, no way, I'm not doing that one, it's too, like it's, it's too much. Yes, it's quite, it a, was it's the, quite a heavy case. That really recent one. Uh -huh, that um, that furry girl, yeah. Yeah. And obviously right. having Terrible. kids as well, like, it's just, uh, I just, I couldn't It would have it. been too much for you, yeah, 100%, yeah. yeah. You may bark in here, you thought, well, if I do that, it would just be too, I don't know, Johnny would just be like, ah, you just picked that because you're from Edinburgh. <laughs> it's just opening so. yourself up for a slagging, basically, if you picked the case that was And you might have Edinburgh. expected me to know everything about it. Well, so like, I mean, nah. I know that you would know enough about it that if we talk, like maybe that could be maybe, our next maybe another one. time. Yeah, maybe, yeah, another maybe time. we could do this like monthly. Yeah, because that would it, be it, good. Well, fun. Maybe, maybe. well, if the people like us, let us know on Twitter and Instagram, Lola Scotland, and if you like what we do today, then tell me on there and we can do it again. That would be fun. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. anyway, so you picked Dennis Nielsen. That's who you Yeah, out of your be. choices, yeah. Out of my choices. So what you would have picked something better. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying because they're all they're all I think they're all difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, well they yeah. are all difficult to talk about hundred percent, yeah. But <sighs> this one's particularly gruesome, can I just warn you right now? Like I know you've kind of little bit googled into Dennis Nielsen, but I mean, like I've done a, like the whole thing basically and see like when you start reading through the stuff that he done, you actually think to yourself, what, <laughs> who is this guy? It's, it's a bit gruesome. So it's a bit before our time. Oh, aye. I think he got caught. The, 1983 he got jailed for a life. Aye, we weren't even born in 1983. We weren't even born. We weren't even a thought in nineteen eighty three. There's a still, what, a good 17 years before yeah. we were alive. Right, so anyway, basically, I forgot where I was. What were we talking about? You were talking about how gruesome it actually was. Oh, yeah, so it was actually quite gruesome, yeah. So I'm just giving you, like, the disclaimer right now, because I know that this might turn your stomach a wee bit, you know? 
So that's your pre-warning. Also, it's a, recently there's going to be a documentary on ITV. About yeah, it. that's um, right. Oh, tell tell me more about that because I didn't really look into a lot about that. Yeah, they're doing a three-part ITV series called Death mm. and it will be airing in autumn this year and it's going to star David Tennant. Yeah, David um, Tennant so, was Doctor Who. Yes, so it will probably, I don't like saying quite good, but you know, he's a good actor and it's going to have a good cast Aye, and that they will they'll portray it. Have you seen the picture of Dennis, um, of David Tennant dressed as Dennis Nielsen? Have you Googled that yes, picture? Yes, and it's freaky. Yes, I've got Whoa, it right here. Oh, isn't it freaky? See, when I've seen that, I'll definitely be putting that picture on the Instagram because that photo was so eerie how much David mm-hmm. Tennant actually looked like Dennis Nielsen. It was scary. Like, he could have been his twin brother. Mm-hmm. He could. And I think that's what, obviously, we've gone on about the disclaimer. Mm. Obviously, it's upset the families that this is airing. Um, it has been 40 years since, but even so, does that still make it okay to make money? If you know, or mm. make a documentary out of people's misery, as they're saying, and yeah. you know, but hey, I get, so I, I get that, I get that. It's still quite I, raw for some people. So of course, it's, go on. yeah, of course, it will always be raw for people. Of course, it will. I think that's why you have to handle these kind of cases with a bit of like respect in a way as well you know but I also feel like if they're having an issue with the tv series then it must be something about the way it's being done maybe you know because I don't know I feel like if it was me and it was my family you would maybe want to like try and put it out there to stop that happening again you know like yeah, if you were like oh if, if people yeah exactly the story Aye, it's already in the public domain. It would just reach a wider audience and help people to understand why like, being a serial killer is not a good thing and you shouldn't do it. Like, maybe it would deter future serial killers, if that makes sense. I think, yeah, I think it's because this guy, Wally done in prison by the sounds of it, was right book. Um, he's published but he's published books in prison and oh, you know, so yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. one of those and I think that's what's upset a lot of people that yeah. he's been able to publish books like I can't remember what his book was called, but I read it for the research that I've done in the podcast. So a lot of like the stuff that I got was from his account, if you know what I mean. So if it mm-hmm. if it sounds like do you know what I mean? Like when I'm telling you the story and you're a bit like, How would you know that though? Well, it's because I read this book, do you know what I mean? So that's how yeah, it was his account, his account, and apparently they have deemed pornographic in some context. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, as I didn't read the full thing, I just had, I just read excerpts because mm-hmm. I was like, I read some bits and I was just like, that is just disgusting. Like, it's not, I don't so recommend I've, I've not it. Read it. I've not read it. Don't recommend, yeah. I don't recommend reading it. Actually, do you know, I've read quite a few, like, serial killer books by now, written, like, by the serial killers. And I do not like the ones that are written by the serial killers. I think they're way too like showy offy and aye, it's too attention seeking. It's, it's a debate. It's a debate in itself. Should these people it's be allowed hilarious. to write write what they want in prison and it being published? And should there even be, you know, these dramas made about them? So many years. Yeah, later. It's a, uh, yeah. We could literally spend. I about know. We could talk about this for two hours. Aye, like not even yeah. getting into the case. Maybe we should do a live one day where we get to all come on and debate whether or not serial killers should be allowed to profit from their crimes or something. That would be quite fun. Oh yeah, and the media in general, because the oh, media yeah, do jump on the bandwagon. They're like, you know, they make things twice as worse sometimes. 
Right, okay, so let's get into that. So I'll tell you a bit about his early life to begin with. His mum and dad, Elizabeth White and Olaf Nielsen, married in 1942 in Scotland. Olaf was Norwegian and Betty, Elizabeth, was Scottish. They met a short while after Olaf moved to Scotland from Norway in 1940 where he was a soldier for the Free Norwegian Forces. They lived in Aberdeenshire, Fraserburgh, and had their second child, Dennis, on the 23rd of November, 1945. They already had a son called Olaf Jr., then followed the youngest sibling, Sylvia. Okay, okay. Betty and Olaf lived with Betty's parents at the time in Fraserburgh. Times were tough, like they weren't like from a rich family or anything, so that's obviously why like the married couple and all the sons and daughters stayed with their mum and dad or Betty, you know. Olaf was an alcoholic and he was rarely home because he was always off working with the, these like three Norwegian forces. Betty and Olaf divorced in 1949 when Dennis was four. Betty and Dennis and the other brothers and sister continue to go on living with grandparents, the granddad being called Andrew White, right? Now, mm-hmm. Dennis and Andrew were super, super close. They were always going out and walks and stuff. It was like little and large, you know what I mean? Like they would always pal about together. They had like a really good, strong relationship. Aye, they were basically very close, right? And they came from like a really strict Catholic religious background as well so like what goes on this would make sense because of that if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so Dennis had reported that one of his earliest and happiest memories of the time was the times that he spent with his granddad but Andrew White his granddad then passes away at 62 years old he was found dead on a fishing boat like having been out on a fishing trip that day Dennis was only six at the time and he got taken into the room where the coffin was, with the lid opened at six years old, was basically told that his granddad was just lying there sleeping. Mm-hmm. So he was never told that he was dead. He was just told to go and look at him in the coffin and told, oh, your granddad's just sleeping. Okay. That's it. Like, that's quite weird, but it's also not weird because of, like, how strict Catholics they were. And obviously, like, Catholics, they do the viewing before the burial and things. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. So he then goes on to claim that that was his most vivid memory from childhood. So that's where the kind of fascination with dead bodies, I would say, maybe started. Yeah, because he was quite young. Yeah, sex is quite, quite young. dead body. Loads of reports say that it's like super significant that at such an early age he was exposed to a dead body mm-hmm. and that was probably what affected him later. So whether or not that's true, you'd, you would never know, I suppose. He was definitely traumatised by it all though because like months later he suddenly had the realisation that his mum or whatever said to him, he realised that his granddad wasn't coming back now. And okay. he said in like his books that that was a traumatic event that he still remembers the fact that he just woke up one day and realised that he wasn't coming back had been lied to I suppose you know yeah I think you're better telling the truth about these things especially to children eh yeah uh-huh, I do I feel like that as well so loads of reports said that this was like a psychological bombshell that mm-hmm. led Dennis into a life of loneliness and constantly like searching for love and companionship because he's 
never experience that bond again, like the bond of like a healthy love that his granddad gave to him. And then ever since his granddad died, he's just never been able to find that bond with someone again. Okay. Which is really sad. Yeah. You know, but, like yeah. if you if I was explaining someone else to you and you didn't know he was a serial killer, I your emotions would be sympathy right now. But because you know he's done horrible things, yeah, like that's not an excuse. Ah, exactly. A bit of emotional baggage, doesn't he? Yeah. He had a pretty normal childhood, except for his granddad passing. Which is right. See, this next time I would say this is like the total opposite of what a serial killer is usually like. But okay, he was like obsessed with animals. He just loved them, like in a platonic, like like do you know what I mean? Like in a healthy way, he was obsessed with animals, loved yeah. animals, and that like stretched in his adulthood as well because he kept pigeons, and he had a dog called Bleep. Okay. And, oh, the dog. Oh, the dog looks such odd. Oh, some. Oh no, I'll tell you about the I've dog. Not seen the dog. I'll tell you the dog. No, don't look at that time. I'll tell you. Okay, okay, it. okay. No, because you'll you don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. I'll tell you about the dog at the yeah. end because that's like yeah. We'll just we'll leave that till then. But don't look at that. Okay, okay, okay. I won't. So vandals actually killed his pigeons. Like they broke oh. into his pigeon house and killed all his pigeons. And he had been reported to say that he was like devastated by it, and he was he basically couldn't understand how someone could have done that. And this was, this was like in his adult life. I don't know if he'd started killing people by the point that somebody killed his pigeons, but he couldn't understand why someone would do that. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a serial killer yet. That No, it doesn't. You know, it just sounds like a normal person kind of. Because like, I don't understand why someone would go and kill a bunch of pigeons for no reason. Arseholes. Anyway, he was never sexually active as a teen and he never had girlfriends. Okay. He had a fascination with the minister's son, though. Okay. And then he also has an obsession with a character from a French grammar book called Pierre Duvan or Duvan. Pierre Duvan. I've never heard of it. It's weird, but it's not crazy, obviously. Like, it's not weird. No, like, I'm it's. a crush on a cartoon. I like no, not, that. Not, not weird at all. No, not weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know if it was a cartoon. I think it was just a oh. book character. Oh, like, be. Okay. I so it wasn't like a cartoon. I just oh, feel yeah. like it was a book he read. Like, what I thought was it was just a book he read and he just fell in love with the main character or something. No, but that's normal, I suppose. That is normal. I mean, I mean look at all these people that are like totally fancy or fell in love with that vampire man. Like I've never read any of them, but Which vampire man? <laughs> well like oh, Twilight. Oh like Twilight and that, yeah. All these people are like totally like yeah, but I, I in thought love that was a main character and stuff. And, I didn't okay. think that was like love though. I, mm, I don't know. Can you fall in love from a book? I don't know. Anyway. That's another debate. I don't for know what. I, well, I don't know. I said he was always chasing love and stuff. Though. So I mean, if he was really that desperate for love, and you know, he yeah. could have totally like envisioned this what not, yeah. person in his head that he wanted to obsessed with the idea of this person he wanted to love. And like, oh, that sounds like my my kind of guy. Yeah. Mm, true. I don't know. True. Reasoned well. So. Obviously, he's like struggling with his sexuality. Do you know what I mean? Like you can tell that because mm. of like his army career as well. Like what I'm going on to tell you just in the next bit is 
like you do you need to feel sorry for him because obviously you need to remember like back then it wasn't such things as gay rights and things like that you know there wasn't like an lgbtq plus community so there wasn't like a huge support system back then for people that were maybe thinking that they weren't straight you know like there was a lot of stigma back in like the 70s and stuff yeah i'm sure there was there was there would have been groups for gay people but there was i think there was a lot of stigma well, in the I army, there was a lot of like, yeah. I think there was a lot of closeted people in the army, though. From what I've just seen from other things, and that was it. Was still was like, no, I suppose. Well, I suppose in football, still people don't want to come out in football and being gay in football. So it was the same. Always the worst. But yeah, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, you still see that. It's absolutely crazy. That you can, you still can find examples of that today. So let's talk a bit about his army career then. So in 1961, at the age of 15, Dennis left school and joined the army. He became a trainee chef within the army and he learned butchery. Now, remember that point because that comes back to serve him well in later life. Like where he found his skills was at the army as a chef. Yeah. The first three years were spent undergoing training at barracks in Aldershot in England. And this was like a really super happy time for Dennis as well. He proper thrived under hard work and discipline and the comradeship of army life. You know, lads mm -hmm. all together, that kind of scene. He, he enjoyed that and he felt like he fit in. He always fought his feelings that he had for other guys in the army because it would make him feel guilty because obviously he came from this really strict Catholic background, you know? So mm -hmm. every time he had those feelings, it would make him feel really guilty about having the feeling. He was really popular in the army as well and like met loads of pals and he started getting into heavy drinking. After the completion of his training, he was posted in Berlin and at this time, he started getting loads of sexual encounters with men. He had okay. woke up one night in the barracks after a heavy night drinking with another private, like another guy that he works with in the army. He then started taking a drinking really heavily most nights or seemed to be drinking very heavily even though he might not be, like just pretending more mm -hmm. in the hopes that somebody would try and sexually take advantage of okay so that's like the the cry for love and attention mm -hmm. i think you know because i don't know why but okay i don't know i find that strange yeah mm -hmm. uh, I was, well yeah well, i was reading here that you know these fantasies i had they gradually evolved into his partner being unconscious or dead i don't know if you've read that so you know he started getting you know weirder and weirder i suppose you know yeah um and, um... I, it's definitely like escalation from the point yeah. of just not being able to be open with mm -hmm. the way that he feels and open to other people. I think that the the stumbling point for it, you know? Yes. But yes, but it did I think it did have an obsession for with getting it on, I suppose, with an uncon uh, unconscious unconscious body mm -hmm. or being, you know, abused both he wasn't well you know like being unconscious or you know it's like he tried to get himself abused like what you were saying or he yeah. wanted to abuse someone that was well I think, pretending to be dead and stuff so yeah i think that the escalation came from 
him pretending to be unconscious and hoping that somebody would just do something Come to on, him. Yeah. Then to the point of that not working for him, so he started being the one that would get other people unconscious and then do things to them. Yes, you know? that's it. That's I. That's me. Mm-hmm. So in this time as well, he did have his first sexual experience with a woman, which all reports that I found said that all he would do after he'd done that was boast about it, like on loads of occasions to the lads, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that was obviously him trying to conceal how he was really feeling, you know. He did a tour of the Middle East where it was reported he was involved with an Arab boy and a Bavarian prostitute. Round about that time is when he started having the fascination with death because he started to see himself as a court. He would cover himself in talcum powder and paint his lips blue and then masturbate in front of a mirror. Yeah, he did. did. What is that? Is that ne- what's that called? Ne- necrophilia. Necrophilia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was totally Necrophilia came later, but this okay. was like the starting point of the necrophilia was this like talcum powder and blue lip. Okay. He started this fascination when he was on tour in the Middle East. I don't have any words for that, to be honest. No, no, yeah. Like, who does that? Serial <laughs> killers. Serial killers, exactly. <sighs> that's not even the worst. Like, that's not even the worst. I know I don't know any of this. As I said, I've done the littlest research ever because I think the, you know, the whole point was to come on. Shawnee was going to, you know, tell me, and I'm just going, you know, you know, and I'm just going to be like shocked. Yeah, well, I think more than anything, I probably won't sleep tonight. Be thinking about all this crazy stuff. <laughs> well, remember when we used to stay up really, really late and we used to stay at your house and we would stay up like all night, do all nighters, and we would watch like ghost films and stuff. And your mum yep. used to put like the projector up in the living room for us and we would yes. watch like The Omen, the old yeah, Omen, like the, the original. The old one. The original. Yeah, we, we were still only watch like all 12. The old creepy one. I know. That's I don't know why. I find them, I, I struggle to watch horror films now. That was like her big obsession for many years. I didn't get freaked out when I was younger, but now I do. I don't know. Oh, do you know what freaked me out? I think it's because you know how real they can be sometimes. Yeah. You know, like the murdery one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, murdery so one. Like... Do you remember how freaked out we used to get with the grudge? Yeah. I remember we would like lying down going to sleep and then one of us would make the noise and you wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> anyway, we're digressing too much. So back to the army. He fell in love with an eighteen year old pa- oh I nearly said pirate and I meant private. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I meant private. I that it's not an eighteen year old pirate, it's an eighteen year old private. Okay. <laughs> now you're allowed to laugh a little bit. I mean, if you don't I know, because we've gone. Real crap. Yeah, we've gone from like one thing to. One extreme to the other. This is an emotional <laughs> roller coaster, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, he fell in love with this guy. He's only a young guy. But mm-hmm. the guy did not return his feelings at all. Like, not one little bit did he feel anything towards Dennis. So this made Dennis feel even more guilty and made him bottle up even more of his feelings. 
And then mm-hmm. apparently on the last night when they were deployed in Shetland, they were then going to leave Shetland. Dennis was like so distraught because this guy doesn't return his feelings that he burned like all these films that the pair of them had filmed together, like for the months and months that they were posted in Shetland. And mm-hmm. it like apparently it surprised everyone on the squad because they just thought they were like good pals and stuff like that, you know what I mean? They didn't suspect anything like romantic or anything. They just thought that Dennis was like kicking off for no reason, you know? Okay. Nielsen's army career lasted 11 years and 3 months. He was proper in line for a rewarding career with the army if he played his cards right. So he was fitting right in with the army. But okay. then something happened and it pissed Nielsen off, right? So he became disillusioned with the army's participation in Northern Ireland. And he left the army completely blitter about the politics of the time. So I think, and I've not Googled this, so maybe you who Google this, but I think this was maybe around about the time of the Troubles in Ireland. 68 to 1998 was the Troubles. So yeah. Yeah, 100% then. It was all to do with the politics over Northern Ireland, Nielsen. Fell out with the army and decided to return to Fraserborough. He was only in Fraserborough for around five weeks when he had a massive argument with his brother. And his brother called, like, called him out on his homosexuality and they had a massive argument and it was so bad that the pair never spoke again. Okay. So he didn't last very long at home, is what I'm saying. He, he boosted from Scotland at this point down to London. Okay. Where? I think, I know, he joined the Metro. He joined exactly. the police. Exactly. Yes, is that where we were going to go? 1972. 1972, Dennis enrolls in the police. Yes. One point to Emma. <laughs> so he was trying to recapture some of that army life, that lad's mentality that he was missing from the army. And he thought that the Metro would provide that for him. Now you wonder how these people end up in... Or how they even get in the organisation in the first place. Oh, 100%. But then back then, remember, he's not done anything at this point anymore. He's just a normal no, I mean, guy. Well, kind of normal. I mean, I've read some of that, that stuff that he's trying to split his personality. Yeah, yes, because that's it. That's showing his mental health. That's showing his mental health exactly. and for what his mental health was. But obviously, I don't speak too loud because I'll wake up my children. No. Anyway, yes, he is. Somehow, as you said, he got himself in the... I have powder, uh-huh. Yeah, to make himself look like a dead body, and he managed to get himself in the mirror. But what he did at the same time is that he managed to kind of split himself. That If he used a freestanding mirror, he could make himself look, of his head out of view, that he could visualise himself engaging in a sexual act with another man. Oh. So he could visually split his personality during these fantasies so he could also he could be both the domineer partner ah, and that aye. passive partner that you were saying you know that was the whole one of his fantasies yeah but yeah. yeah but yeah that showed his mental health it was that mental that's a horrible word as well i don't know how to say it, that you take that time out to be two different people at once to, yeah i don't know 100%. but yeah i'm going off on a tangent and i'm like yeah you know exactly. like normal i say i don't even like the word normal but like normal people don't do that <laughs> No, no, of course not. They don't yeah. have the time to do that and whatnot. But yeah, so so most people bit... wouldn't even consider it. Like most people wouldn't even think about it. 
as an option. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, they would, yeah. <laughs> it's not an option. So I'm just saying, it's mad that someone like that could get into the police in the first place, but I suppose they don't... They don't know about know. that, though. They and they still would have not allowed to check things like that anyway. Yeah. Well, They're not going to ask them. Anymore. How would you check that? What, you ask somebody when they apply to the police? Oh, by the way, do you masturbate to yourself <laughs> in the mirror? <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, but that's normal. But maybe not. No like, way. That's <laughs> no. Nothing no. wrong with doing that in a mirror. No, there's nothing wrong with it. If that's what you choose. <laughs> Pretending to be like a dead guy and not a dead guy at the same time. Yeah, no, that bit is the creepy bit. Aye, that bit's, I mean, it's not exactly normal. But no. You can do but that yeah, and no. that's perfectly fine. But don't put talcum powder all over yourself and put like, lips Do people actually, I don't know. Yeah, that's fantasize that you're dead. Like, don't do that. That's a step too far, guys. I know. <laughs> just sit on your hands and make them go numb for a bit. Then, you know. You can uh, laugh that loud. You'll wake up your children. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to turn that bit down on the mic so much for laughing. <laughs> I'm leaving that in, but that was funny. So where were we anyway? Okay, we're talking about so hey, joining, joining the, join the police mm-hmm. in London. Mm-hmm. He never felt that sense of camaraderie that he had with the army, with the police, because when he was on his days off, he was alone. So he mm-hmm. wasn't getting that companionship because obviously in the army he was living with other people. So he was always, you know, like bunk beds and stuff. So he didn't like being alone. Again, the loneliness is seeping in and like messing with his mind already, that's already like a bit mental, you know? Mm-hmm. And around this time, he also started becoming a regular at the gay bars in London. Mm-hmm. So one night when Nielsen was on patrol with the police, he's walking through a car park and he sees a parked car. He goes up and shines his torch in and he caught a gay couple in the middle of, you know what, but obviously because of the way that Nielsen is himself having these thoughts and things he couldn't even bring himself to arrest them which was required by law at the time to arrest them mm-hmm. so they after were they just serving, outside in a car what they were just say? in a car park they were in a oh, car right, park okay. well you're not yeah. allowed to do that anyway even then yeah but i think it's not. more like the yeah no it's because it was like two guys but yeah exactly um... which which was ridiculous, yeah. but yeah. So anyway, he resigned after a year in 1973 because he just wasn't fitting into the police. It was different from the army. It was alone all the time. wasn't making bosom buddies with anybody or anything. And obviously he doesn't like the fact that he may get put in that position again, you know, where he would have mm-hmm. to like arrest someone for doing something like that. So he left. He was living at 9 Manston Road, North London, on the verge of poverty with no money. He's running out of the money that he's had from the police. He even had to sell his general service medal to survive the one he got from the army. He finally admitted the seat and signed on for unemployment benefit. But during his interview, he was offered a job working for the English Civil Service. And he was to remain in that job up until his arrest for murder in 1983. In 1974, Nielsen's life revolved around cruising gay bars, mm-hmm. although it was always only just conversation, not sex that he craved with other people. It was the 
companionship. Does that make sense? Yeah. One night he met a man called David Galahan. Yes. Where are we? What, are you in 1974 now? 1974. 1974. 1974. Yes. We've jumped. Yeah, because he was, the year before, he was looking for a lasting relationship. Yes. So I think that's he what was he looking was looking for. for companionship. Yeah. Yeah. He was cruising gay bars, but it wasn't like cruising gay bars in the sense that he was just nipping in for a quick shag mm-hmm. with someone and then going on. He wasn't a player. You know, mm-hmm. it was only cruising gay bars to try and find that connection. Yeah, so apart from, I go back to the, you know, the creepy bastard bit, and it sounded like I don't like an old person. Exactly, at that like, point, uh, apart nice from, guy. like, the, the creepy bedroom stuff that he does by himself. So, one night, he met a man called David Galhan who came home with Nielsen and he stayed the night. Galahan then made what must have been one of the most romantic breakthroughs Nielsen had ever encountered, right? He's never okay. experienced anything like what David Galahan's offering him. He suggested that they should set up home together, which really shocked Dennis that somebody would want to do that, you know? Nielsen and Gallahan then went flat hunting and found a flat, which was now one of the most notorious addresses in London, 195 Melrose Avenue. Everybody knows that address in that I area. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that's you know that address. Oh, no, sorry. Everybody knows that address, like in London, or everybody that knows anything about true crime and things like that. Things are happy for about two years. They even got a dog, Bleep, like I was talking about before. So they got Bleep together. And they would tend to their garden together, happy days, Mm -hmm. basically. So they're settling in nicely together. Nielsen had a pet name for Galahad. You want to know what that is? Yes, please. Twinkle. Oh, my God. (laughs) Twinkle? Yeah. Do you have a pet name? No, I don't have a pet name. Just I was like, is that nice pet names? No, you've no. I don't even think I've got pet names for my children. No, I don't do pet names. But Dennis does. But yes. unfortunately for Dennis, Galahan's twinkle for Dennis was fizzling out. Could that get any cheesier? <laughs> How long did it take you to think of that one? You're like, oh. <laughs> they both started bringing home other men. So things were going down south. Yeah, because apparently those two didn't actually have intercourse a lot. No, I, nah, it was like, yeah, at the start, I think it was mm-hmm. like normal. Once you start just having a dog called, you know, when Bleep. you get your dog, <laughs> when you get your dog in your garden and you say, oh, you, you don't have intercourse quite a lot. You just, you know. <laughs> I don't know. You're probably having it more than these guys anyway by the sounds of it. So Well, I it definitely wasn't like a sexual relationship and then it was yeah. just completely just two guys living together basically. And it pretty much ended in complete disintegration of the relationship and that Galahad left, like he moved out. Okay. They're now no longer even living together at this point. Actually, Dennis brought home a woman in the time that he was living with Galahan. Okay. Which which apparently like really shocked both of them. Like Wait, even Dennis was in... How many murders oh. did this guy do? 
Oh, he claimed between 15 and 16. But well, we're going only... to be here all night. Oh, no, no. We're not going to be here all night. So fine, honestly. Right. Back right. to the main point. Right. <coughs> Dennis starts filling up his time with cruising the gay bars of London again and drinking very heavily at home as well. I think his tipple of choice was rum, by the way, which is also mine. So, you know, drink a serial mm. killers. Near the end of 1978, Nielsen fell into a dark depression and he spent Christmas alone in his flat. Which actually surprised me as well that he spent Christmas alone because he had, like, his gran, his mum, his brother and sister from his dad, his dad, mm -hmm. and his mum had also remarried a guy and had another like four kids because mm -hmm. there were seven siblings in total so why on earth was he like sitting down in london having christmas alone when he's got a massive family you know he kind of chose he kind of chose that loneliness in my opinion i know he like fell out with his brother but there's no mention of like him falling out with the rest of his family and apparently he was really close to his uh, younger sister, Sophie, okay. Sylvia. So when he's spending Christmas alone, the old fantasy comes back to play. And by December 30th, Nielsen's absolutely desperate for company. He goes out to the Cricklewood Arms, which was like a gay pub or gay bar in London. This is when he went home with victim number one. He was an 18-year-old Irish labourer. Nielsen couldn't remember his name though, and he was like never identified or remains were never found. So unfortunately, no one knows who this guy is. It's literally only Dennis's account that is the reason that we know that he killed this man or what happened, you know? Okay. After a heavy night drinking together, Nielsen became desperate and the overwhelming desire to keep this young guy with him was like becoming overbearing. He just wanted to keep this guy with him forever. Nielsen strangled the guy with a necktie and finished him off by drowning him in a bucket of water. Nielsen then bathed and dried the corpse and left it in the bath, right? Okay. But the fear of being discovered pretty much gave him like no feeling of the loneliness and stuff that he was feeling over Christmas time, over New Year. He wasn't feeling the same loneliness because the fear had overtaken that feeling of loneliness. He kept the corpse out to keep him company, but he was even he was even so scared of being caught that he decided that he couldn't keep the body out anymore. So he placed them under the floorboards and he stayed there under the floorboards for seven and a half months. Just yeah, it's like his normal floorboards. Floorboards. Yeah, it's like horror film. Could you is imagine? This the one, is, this the, is this the one that he wrote about himself in his, one of his memoirs? Yes. The, the one that he, um, weeks later, he decided to see if the body had changed at all and he wanted to see if it decomposed and yeah. actually took him up. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Aye. He was like experimenting at this time, you know, so it was keeping the body out, but then he was scared to get caught, 
they put him under the floorboards and then they would take him out every now and again to like have a look at him and stuff. So yeah, it's a bit weird. How could you live in a house with a body under your floorboards for seven and a half months? Like surely that would be stinking, no? You'd think so. Like how could you live with that smell, like decomposing body? Like that's not a good smell. Uh, Apparently he washed the body now and again for So this ex- whole experience of his first murder put the fear of God into Nielsen and he was super on edge for months and months. He eventually attempted to murder another young man called Andrew Ho who was a student from Hong Kong but this attempt was unsuccessful. I think Andrew Ho had woke up in the middle of him getting strangled and had ran off. I don't even think he reported it because obviously at the time it was illegal so you're not going to report something, you know? So it led a lot of guys to not report him. Like a lot of times guys got away from him but never said anything and that led other people to get killed, you know? If someone had stepped forward yeah, well, they and said something... Admit, they, they wouldn't want to admit why they were in his house in the first place. No, of course you know, not. That's they might sad. be like, you know, that would be them coming out as being gay or meeting yeah. up with strangers. And doing something that was quote-unquote wrong at the yeah. time. It was another year before Nielsen would actually kill again. His victim number two was Canadian tourist Kenneth Ockledon. He was 19 years old and he met Nielsen in a gay bar. On December 3rd, Kenneth was strangled while wearing Nielsen's headphones listening to music. He was the only victim that was widely reported as missing. And actually, when the police were doing a search of Nielsen's home, like fast forward in 1983, they actually found his fingerprints. So the fingerprints lasted a long time considering he was like victim number two, you know? Yeah, he did, he did horrendous, horrendous things to that body. Yeah, he totally did. Had him spread eagled above him in his bed. Mm-hmm. Well, he apparently watched telly for like several hours. Yeah, he did and have then, a fascination with hanging body parts. And he specifically got a camera so he could like photograph them and suggest the position. So you can only imagine what positions they were yeah. with, you know, his um, proper, like, proper. But yeah, he would basically right. just sit there and watch television and drink alcohol, like nothing, you know, mm. for like seven months. Yeah. So like, well, dead bodies, he was just desensitized completely. Completely, yeah. To, like, dead people. Well, Kenneth then joined the Irish guy under the floorboards because he didn't have anything else to do with them, so he was off under the floorboards for you. Like, no no um, offence to the family that are, like, raging and upset about them making a drama out of it, but no of wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, like, proper horror story. Horror story, yeah, film. definitely. And also it's a bit like, well, maybe the victim's family want it out there, you know? And if anything, they should get the final say, in my opinion, because the victims... And the money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100% about the victims at this point, because there's just... No, I don't feel sorry for Dennis Nielsen anyway, shape or form, you know? It's obviously not his family's fault either, you know? But they didn't lose someone in a horrific way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so victim number three was a troubled Merseyside youth called Martin Duthie, who was 16. He was strangled and drowned, and then he was used as a companion for Nielsen, as well as a sex object. Again, it's like escalating more to more 
like I don't know horrificness it's less just having the body on display and more now getting involved with the body which mm-hmm. is very ugh, but so that's the necrophilia coming into play that you were talking about earlier, you know? Yeah, and then, it hasn't took him long. No, it hasn't taken him long to escalate to this point at all. You're right. Then he put the body under the floorboards with the other two bodies that he still had stored under there. So obviously at this point he's thinking, well, space is running out. I've not got any more space under my floorboards. And so the smell. Took, and the smell. And the smell, because the smell must have been horrific at this point, let's be honest. So he pulled them out from under the floorboards and he then butchered them in the bath using his cooking skills from the army. He butchered them up and boiled them, took the skin from them. No, I never seen anything on cannibalism, so I don't think so because I never seen anything about it. But it was all like, yeah, boil it, take the skin off them so they can like sever their heads easily. He placed all the parts in suitcases that he had bought especially for this job. I think he put the suitcases in the shed. Good, good shout, Nielsen. Like, just move them from the house to your shed. That's cool. I don't understand why the neighbours wouldn't have smelt that as well. Surely that would have been a bit... Ugh, I don't know. Well, if he boiled them, I don't well, know. yeah. <laughs> I don't know too much about boiling human flesh. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it too much, but yeah, but I suppose if it was like meatful, you boil it and then it'll be cooked meat, so it's not going to smell, you know, as much until it goes off. Not for a while. We're talking about human bodies going off, that's too much. Rain it back. Oh, God. These poor people. But that's how bad it is, that's how bad it is. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. It is, it's like something out of a film, and you kind of wish it was just a film that we're talking about, because... Aye. I think the only way that I can think about it when I'm going through the case is to think about it like it's a film, you know? And then try and displace it a bit. It's these people that, you know, if it wasn't for these people, that's inspiration for all these films that people watch and think are great and, oh, that was good. Yeah. It's just, it's horrible now. I'm going to think of it in a totally different light now when I actually watch a Yeah, Totally. I don't know why. I think it's just... You were way more into these kind of things when we were younger, for sure. You grew up, I didn't. <laughs> I know, I've got the fear. So, we're moving on now to victim number four, who was a young Scotsman called Billy Sutherland, and he was 27, so a wee bit older than Dennis's target demographic at this point. He was dispatched in the same way as the other previous victims. There was nothing different to what he'd done to him than he'd done to the others. So it was just basically wash, rinse, repeat for Dennis just with a new guy. Victim number five was a male prostitute. He was never identified, but it's believed that he was from either Thailand or the Philippines. But again, these are all these victims that I'm listing right now are just 
people that Dennis was trying to remember and tell the police about it. It wasn't necessarily that the police found any evidence of these people being at his home because he'd already disposed of them years later, eh, years before, sorry. So this is just Dennis's recount of the other people that he murdered. Victim number six was an Irish labourer. He couldn't remember any more than that about him. Victim number seven was, quote, a hippie type that he found sleeping in a doorway in Charing Cross. Uh, victim number eight, he couldn't re recall anything about this guy, like nothing, no details at all could he recall about victim number eight. He just knew that he had murdered someone, but he couldn't remember when. Time went on, he kind of less getting to know them and just kind of got straight down. I think that's what it sounded like from what you're saying. Yeah, you know, definitely just, was. As time went on, he became more, you know, and he didn't care about, yeah. about knowing these people. Yeah, because I think at the start like, he did want the companionship, so yeah, he would probably want to know more. about getting to know someone. Yeah. They spent a night together and then he murdered yeah. the first guy in the morning. He spent an evening with one guy drinking all night and then decided to murder him. And then it's got to the point where it's not even that important for him to get Think that connection anymore. Yeah, yeah. some happy type or something. This is really... It was all disrespectful, but yeah, but yeah, it was like even more disrespectful as it went on for the victims. Yeah. So just... I agree. Murder at 9 and 10 was the same story. It was just two Scottish guys that he picked up in a bar in Soho, and that was as vague as it got, basically. So all those victims were just vague recollections of murders that he knew he had done, and little tidbits of information. The next guy, victim number 11, was a heavily tattooed skinhead who had the words cut here wrote on his throat, like tattooed on his throat. He had <laughs> picked him up in Piccadilly Circus and this guy was all like muscle and show. Mm -hmm. He was boasting to Nielsen how tough he was and how he liked a good fight and things like that. But basically, once Nielsen had taken him home and plied him with loads of alcohol, he was no match for Nielsen, who was obviously a really seasoned killer at this point, because he'd killed 10 other men previously. So it doesn't matter how big and tough this guy was, once he's plastered and Nielsen's in his environment, he's a goner, you know? And this guy, he hung his naked torso in his bedroom for 24 hours before he buried it in the back garden. So again, like, what the fuck? I know, how do you... He must have had neighbours as well, for a bit. Yeah, because he lived it, in a this flat. in London, yeah. He lived in a flat in London. So the next guy was an attempted murder of a guy called Douglas Stewart. He woke up being strangled and was able to fend off Dennis and managed to make his escape from his house. He did report him to the police. So this was the first guy that got away that reported him to the police. But no action was taken from the police because they just chalked it down to like a domestic between two lovers. Mm -hmm. Which again, I'm no, I'm, I'm. What's the point in talking about the capabilities of the police? Really, is there any point to that? No. No, I don't think so either. But yeah, there's been a, there's a lot of mistakes. I think with a lot of these cases, even now, 
So obviously Nielsen's body count's racking up, you know, and he's got all these bodies and nowhere to put them again. So he starts a bonfire to get rid of the bodies. He's already like boiled them and, and chopped them garden? up. In his back garden. Yep. Just a bonfire. Just having a wee bonnie in the back garden burning bodies. This was like well, the first of two bonfires that he would have in that flat to get rid of bodies. Like only to get rid of bodies. And obviously he's already butchered them and boiled them and things as well. So, ugh, yeah, it's a lot. And did this guy not work? He did work. Remember he was working for the English Civil Service. I'm just thinking where he got all the time to do this. Oh, I don't know. Well, I don't think he had anything else to do. He didn't have any friends or all his family were up in Scotland. So this was his spare time? Yeah, well, it must have been all his spare time. Really, yeah. Aye. Just really creepy. Very creepy. He said sometimes that he would even forget where the body parts were, like where he had put them because he had so many stashed away that he would forget what he'd done with them. And he once even opened a cupboard door and a pair of legs flew out and hit him on the head. And I, like apparently he boasted about this when he was in prison. I know, I still can't believe this is real. I know. That's the proper, like, that's the proper murder house, isn't it? Like, where there's body parts just flying about at you. It's absolutely horrendous. This was about 80. 1980. Yeah, around about 1980. So obviously the disposal of the body parts was becoming an issue for him. So he started getting rid of the organs by putting them in between the fence and his wall so that rats and foxes would eat it. And then he would burn, bury or keep in his shed any other parts basically until each bit was full. So the garden underneath the garden was full then he would move on to burning when the shed was full he would move on to bury you know what i mean this kind of thing yeah well i've, I've read i've actually read how obviously the smell that we've been going on about that yeah. that's become a problem and he had to start putting deodorants beneath the floorboards spraying insecticides around his flat twice daily yeah um, but obviously that didn't take it away because things be living in there with him, you know? And obviously for his bonfire, he put in old car tyres. So I was just wondering how he had that smell and it was old Aye. car tyres he put in. Yeah, because that's the thing as well. Like when you burn meat, body parts, like human beings, blah, there's obviously a smell. So, But yeah, what he... the creepy thing is, there was three neighbourhood children apparently stood to watch this one particular <gasps> bonfire. No way. And actually he brought in his memories that, it would have seemed in order um, that he's seen these three children dancing around a mass funeral pyre. Obviously, wow, he didn't, and they didn't yeah, he, know. He enjoyed that. Yeah, because that gives him the sense of like knowing something that they don't and then know, after having the, the upper hand. Afterwards, apparently, any recognisable bones, he would like smash them with a rake so no one would find them, obviously. But yeah, it was. This guy thinks about things, doesn't he? Yeah, well, he wrote a lot, which I can yeah. understand why people are saying, why the hell did he get to write all this? I apparently wrote lots of poems as well. That's what you like to do too. <laughs> mm-hmm. You and him have something in common. Well, you and your rum. <laughs> True. You were just saying about your rum earlier. <laughs> oh. 
Luckily, that's the only thing that we have in common with this creepy weirdo. I don't think anybody could deny that we have poets are a little bit no right. mental, but not that mental. <laughs> no, we just say no right. Mm. So after number 11 comes number 12 on the 17th of 19... No, the 17th of 1981. That doesn't work. The 17th of the 9th, 1981. Victim number 12, his name was Malcolm Barlow and he was see, right, okay. epileptic was with special final, needs. Yeah, his final victim. No, that's not his final victim. Was it not? No. Okay. We've still got more to go. This is just at oh. Malcolm Barlow. He was 24 and he befriended Nelson when they were out. I, I believe what happened with him was... He had taken an overdose and when they were out or Nielsen had found him somewhere taking an overdose and didn't know him yet and uh. he phoned an ambulance for him. The ambulance came and Nielsen basically saved his life. So the next day, this guy Malcolm Barlow comes to Nielsen's house to thank him mm-hmm. for saving his life. They start having a drinking session and start mixing prescription drugs with alcohol and he passes out again, this Barlow guy, and instead of phoning the ambulance again for him as he'd done the previous night, he decided that because they were in his house and the ambulance would have to come to his house, his house full of body parts, he thought, well, I'll just have to get rid of you the same way as everybody else because I can't risk anyone coming to my house smelling the smell and maybe finding something that I don't want them to find, you know? So that's mm-hmm. the reason why Malcolm Barlow was a victim. I don't think necessarily he was ever going to do anything to him before that, you know? That's no, just... it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, it's just unfortunate to... Yeah, I think it is just unfortunate because he definitely didn't fit the usual like pattern for him. Someone that he'd met not out cruising gay bars and stuff. I was saying that, he must have given him his address for to say, oh, this is where I live. You know, he must have given him details to say to him. All. Yeah, so he must Unless have. Unless they just looked him up in the phone book. Oh, I don't know. I think he, anybody he, that he's seen, I think, opportunities. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Because he fitted the brief, a vulnerable young man. He was, yeah, yeah, no, he did fit the brief, you're right, yeah, so maybe, yeah. I, I, you've convinced me. Okay. So after this guy Nielsen's flat gets broken into and all his possessions were vandalised, I'm completely surprised that someone broke into that house and everything was a mess and somebody didn't find a body part. So I'm half thinking maybe they did find a body part and then probably legged it, but they didn't go to the police and say anything because why would you? Oh, by the way, police, I was uh, robbing this house last night and I found an arm in the cupboard. You're not going to do that, are you? Yeah, because he, he still had bodies there right up until he, still had he had the move. He left. He had to have another big bonfire to get rid of the last of it. But then the there was, remember, that, that was only the stuff from the shed and stuff, though. There was still stuff under the floorboards and there was still the whole garden that was basically a graveyard at this point. Yeah, because apparently I'm just reading that he had to move... Uh, yeah, landlord that... wanted them to, to vacate the property. Aye, that's right. And they had like a to, big argument. It'd be a bit hard to move with all that baggage. Mm-hmm. But he did. He decided to move. He got 
they got the move, got rid of the rest of the bodies he could, and then yeah. obviously moved to somewhere where he didn't have a garden, and he had an attic flat. It was an attic flat, yeah, that was okay. 23 Cranley Gardens, that was. So he didn't have his floorboards anymore? No, well, not in the sense that he had beforehand, you know? Yeah. He was, do you know that he was offered by his landlord like this new flat already arranged for him and a thousand pounds to leave? Like that landlord must have really wanted Ridley to like give him mm-hmm. a thousand pounds to. Well, I suppose it leave? was a good thing because apparently he didn't really, ki- he didn't kill anyone after that. He didn't. He attempted to strangle. He did. Paul Nobbs in November 1981, he had the attempted murder of him. He was 25. Then, after a few failed attempts, he, six months after moving into 23 Canley Gardens on December 1981, Nielsen strangled a petty criminal from London. His name was James Howlett. This guy gave Nielsen as good as he got, though, and this, like, really took Nielsen off guard and what surprised him even more is the fact that this James Howlett just kept coming back to life. Like Nielsen wrote about it saying that the guy just like he strangled him, he came back to life again. He drowned him, he came back to life again. Like this guy was just not for dying. Like good effort. What a way to go though. Who was that again? His name's James Howlett. James Howlett. Yeah, that was probably like his biggest like shock, surprise, did it go right? When we were talking about um that daughter guy. Aye. He actually he actually brought him back from the dead. Stotter? Ah. Uh-huh. That was the attempted murder. Yeah, because he thought he'd killed him. Right. But then bleep started licking his face apparently. Oh right, I've never it- seen this but no, this is interesting. So I was like, I don't know if he's kind of thinking, oh my God, I've got nowhere to put these bodies now. But Just yeah, apparently he, he rubbed daughter's limbs and heart to like bring him back. Wow. And then when he regained consciousness, Nielsen like embraced him. Wow. And then told him that he'd actually strangled himself on the sleeping bag and that he'd brought him back to life. When he was better enough to go home, Amy actually took him to a nearby railway station and said goodnight, you know. Paid them wow. a farewell and might meet again. So I don't know what that was all about. Wow, that you could have yeah. just finished them off. I don't know. Is that a change of heart or is he just clever enough to think, well, I've got nowhere to put these people anymore? I think it's the latter, don't you? I, I think at this point he doesn't have like those emotions anymore that he used to have. He's kind of hardened himself now to the emotional side of it, I think. Where before he found guilt so easily. Even in just the sexuality, I I feel like that's gone now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that he can't feel those kinds of emotions anymore. That's 13 people he's killed by this point, plus yeah, and then multiple more then... attempted ones that he didn't just let go. It was just, like, fate that was on those victims' side rather than the other ones that unfortunately didn't survive. So shortly after James Howlett, came victim number 14, Graham Allen. Mm -hmm. But now there was a bigger issue for Nielsen, just like you were saying, where he's living in an attic flat and it's so much harder to get rid of body parts. So he came up with the idea to chop up the bodies 
boil them and flush them down the toilet. Just let that okay. sink in for a second. Because how one comes up with the idea of doing that is just beyond me. That actually eventually re- led to his arrest as well. Like, doing that got him caught. Victim 15 on the 26th of January 1982 was Stephen Sinclair and he was to be Nielsen's final victim. Thankfully, the the axe that Nielsen took to dispose of his body was his downfall and got him caught. Nielsen wasn't okay. stupid though. He knew he couldn't keep flushing boiled body parts down the toilet because it would attract attention. So he knew he had to come up with a different plan. On February 5th, 1983, an engineer called Mike Cataran was called out to deal with a block drain outside number 23 Cranley Gardens. So we all know why that drain's blocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, Nelson himself, tried to blame it on someone's been flushing down the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. Uh. It's Yeah, it's not right. It's not right at all. So this guy, Mike, is a bit shocked, obviously, when he's trying to de-block the drains and he finds what he thinks looks like human flesh. Mm, no. <laughs> no, exactly. The bones, the bones, they seem like, like they came from a hand. So. Right. No, he had to put bones down there, so yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about the bones. And he actually seen that there were scraps of what looked to be a naked eye. So it was either a human uh, or an eye. So. Eye? Yeah. Oh, God, I missed that bit. Gets worse. He runs off to his boss and tells him what he thinks he's found. And the supervisor basically says, right, we'll go back in the morning and we'll have a look. The next morning, they returned and they noticed that the drain cover wasn't quite the way that he left it the previous day. It was in a different position. And that most of the supposed flesh that he'd seen from the day before had been removed. There was only small pieces that they could still find and a few bits of small bones. So they called the police around half past three that afternoon and Detective Chief Inspector Peter Jay came to the scene and whatever else and that day they had confirmation that yes it was human remains. So the detective runs, like, goes across the street to 23, gives it a chat, and it's Nielsen answers the door. He tells Nielsen what he's found, and Nielsen tries to act disbelieving, and it's no washing with the detective, basically. Apparently, the detective looked him dead in the eye and said, enough messing around and tell me where the body is. And then Nielsen just literally just turned around and replied to him and said, in two plastic bags in the wardrobe next door, come on, I'll show you. And that was it. Like, that's that's how he got caught. Can you believe that? No. Like, just so nonchalant. I can't believe any of it. I suppose. But how nonchalant is that? Just like, oh, well, okay, I tried to get away with it for like five seconds, but I, okay, come on, I'll just show you where the body is. Yeah, he was totally like, Oh, I've got something to tell you, blah, 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 you know, not here, and, you know, take me to the station. So he, like, totally just, you know, it's like he wanted to tell them, obviously, he wrote all these memos, and he's yeah. totally just, like, 
He was arrested right then and there on his doorstep. And when he was taken to the police station, the detective asked him, so is it one body or two? And Nielsen replied to him, no, it's more like 15 or 16. It's, I've been doing it since 1978. This is 1983. Complete psychopath, sociopath, whatever. Yeah. Absolutely everything. It's pretty crazy the whole thing and Nielsen talked obsessively about his crimes after he was caught as well like writing the books and just any opportunity he had to talk he would talk that was obviously the delight of the media at the time as well because they've obviously found out an ex-forces ex-policeman trained butcher has done all of this the media were having a flipping field day at this point, you know. And you you don't know what's true, really. You know, it's all it's like yeah. it's been glorified and dramatized by himself, probably. Yeah. And obviously, that's why people are interested and wanting to read about it and wanting to hundred percent. I don't yeah. know, watch dramas about it and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. human nature to have like a little bit of um, curiosity about these things, you know. Obviously, yeah, people don't get into criminology because profile as well, you know, like profiling. Profiling. You know, yeah. I mean, I think someone would have had, um, would have, I wouldn't say loved, but yeah, he would have been a great case for, you know, these people that want to get into that. Yeah, 100%. So, Nielsen was nothing but cooperative towards the police and would tell them everything. He gave them all the details, everything that he could remember, never held anything back. Basically, when they needed it, he gave them it. He told them what to look for and where to look for it. This led to the biggest and most painstaking archaeological excavation of human remains that was ever recorded. He confessed everything and he never once like took back his confession. Yeah, he, he had no remorse because I don't know if you did that. Um, but yeah. Apparently, when questioned, if he had any remorse, he was like, he wished he could stop, but he couldn't. He had no other thrill or happiness. It was like an addiction. Yeah, he said he, he took no pleasure from the act of killing, but he worshipped the art and the act of death. Yeah, that's a creepy guy sentence, isn't it? Several victims gave chilling testimony as well. These were like the survivors or the attempted murders. So I think that they convicted him of seven counts of murder and two of attempted murder. He was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. But then when he was in prison later into his sentence, he was then told that no, he would die in prison because they've made the decision that they don't believe that he could be reformed. So this was obviously a lot longer down the line when he would be eligible for parole and stuff and they said, no, like, you're going to die in prison. Yeah, well, and that's what happened. He, he did, he died in prison. Yeah. Um, a gory, painful Aye, it was death. quite gory and painful, wasn't it? A ruptured abdominal... I can never say that, the aortic... The official cause of death was a pulmonary embolism and a retroparotical hemorrhage linked to a ruptured aneurysm. Apparently he was lying in his own filth for two days. Yeah, apparently he didn't want to be... He never made a fuss at all. The whole time he was in prison for, I think someone said that he never actually wanted anything. He didn't make a fuss. He just wrote with his typewriter. 
Yeah. And even when he was ill, he didn't bother getting help. He was attacked several times in prison, though, and he did come into quite a few rows with prison guards as well. So I don't think it was like all smooth sailing for him throughout prison. And obviously he died at 72, so he was in prison for like a long time. Even though we've been talking about the fact that he's been writing books and poems and things like this and profiting, it's not like it's all been smooth sailing for him since he went to prison, so that kind of makes me feel a bit better. So, is, you know how we were talking about his split personality, it seems like, yeah. obviously, back in his early days, well, in his autobiography, which I suppose, like you said in your other podcast, that you should really take with a pinch of salt, but then again, mm-hmm. that is coming from the man himself, but you don't know. You know, you could write your autobiography. I mean, it's like Facebook. You could write whatever you, put you, out, you want. Put, yeah, you put out there what you want people to think about you. Yeah. But yeah, beginning with his service in the army, he constantly lived two separate lives. He had his real life and his fantasy life. So when he was with people, he was in the real world. Mm-hmm. And in his private life, he snapped instantly into his fantasy one. And he could go yeah. in between the two. That was probably why... He was the you realist. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was and like obviously that could have just been an excuse for that could have just been like yeah. Blamed no, I agree. Him. I think that they've kinda of hurt the nail on the head a wee bit there. He blamed his emotional state and the conduction with the amount of alcohol he had consumed. Hmm. So I think he was trying to say, yeah, he's a bit he has had mental health issues obviously. But and he'd be alcohol, liking those excuses alcohol, though. And they were the core factors in his decision to kill. So when he felt low and he wanted the opportunity to satisfy his desires it's yeah, like, obviously that helped them feel better. Well, I don't like to get too much into the head of a serial killer. It's not a comfortable place to be in the mind of a serial killer, is it? No, it's just... It's definitely, that's the stuff nightmares are made of. That's it? what people find interesting for. Look at all the yeah. stuff on Netflix, like yeah. Mind of the Serial Killer. Isn't that what yeah. one's called? I've not yeah. watched any of it. I oh, really should them. have. Do you know what else I was just uh, about to say as well? See the mind of a serial killer to me, do you know what that makes me imagine? The like nightmares that were in Freddy Krueger. Do you know when you go the when the kids go to sleep and then they're like in Freddy Krueger's world? Yeah, but that they're dreamland they of Freddy Krueger. Aye, they're not yeah. what they are. Like that reminds me of like what a serial killer's mind must be like, you know? Blurred realities. Yes, oh like totally um you could even maybe you know, like he goes into a state of psychosis. But then yeah. again, for him to be able to go in and between it with ease, that's stating that he had control for really then you know So he chose to was do it. it. Yeah. Well I, I don't know. I don't know what that meant, but you know, I'm not But it could po- well what we're saying is that it could possibly mean that. Or that that's an opinion that we no, yeah. could get behind. Sounded all calculated to me. He went out, he lured these guys back. That wasn't psychosis or that wasn't mentally. No, that's intentional. That was like, wait, I'm going out to get my, you know. My fix. To fulfill my whatever. Because it was an addiction, wasn't it? So it was like going out to get his fix. Just like if it was heroin or something. Drugs. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to know the last thing that I've got on Dennis Nielsen, which I told you that I would tell you right at the end? Was this about the dog? Yes, it's about the dog, Bleep. Yeah, what happened to Bleep? Yeah, so it's not good news, but I didn't want to tell you at the start because I didn't really want to, like, fully depress you right off the bat, you know? So Bleep, who was a beautiful little collie cross dog, well, you Google the picture and I'll put the picture on Instagram for the people, Mm -hmm. but he was Dennis Nelson's dog. 
that they go with Galhan, remember, like way back when, before he was a serial, mm-hmm. serial killer. And he absolutely loved this dog, like absolutely treated her like a queen. But okay. unfortunately, when Dennis was captured, imprisoned for the murder of the six men and the attempted murder of the two others, Bleat was put down by lethal injection. And that was only because she was his dog. I know, like, she not somewhere else. It wasn't her fault. No, exactly. My point. That's crazy. That's... Was it, could she not get rehomed? Is that even true? Well, I mean, yeah, that was true. Put down a dog. No, but they did back then. Okay. I know, but back then, I mean... Well, literally <laughs> the article, oh no, it's horrible, is Literally no, the article that I'm reading right now like, says but, her only crime being a faithful, loyal and loving dog it, of a yeah. serial killer. It must have just been because no one, I don't know if people well, would want a dog. That if you no want a dog one, that belonged to a serial killer. Well, that's what I again, The dog doesn't. It's not the dog's fault. I take it nobody wanted to take the dog. You know, like, not even, like, Galahan, like, if, do you know what I found, though, like, the reason why they did put Bleep down was Mm -hmm. because that they couldn't guarantee that the dog hadn't been getting fed, like, human flesh meat, like, as means of disposal of, so, basically, they, they couldn't guarantee someone that she didn't have, like, the taste for human flesh and might go on to attack someone like if they had is that what you just read or found yeah that's what i've just read online okay well that makes sense but it's horrible apparently like bleep was such a gentle creature and she was just like a typical border collie which would be loving and affectionate and hard-working dogs but not like violent dogs so it seems like it was like just more just in case rather than the dog was actually, like, showing any signs of violence, you know? That's sad. Mm-hmm, I know it's... Okay, so I think that's pretty much yeah. us, then. I might put another wee disclaimer or something, because I, you know... Well, at the end, put a disclaimer oh, at the end. Oh, I don't know, end. I'm just like, no, I know, you'll put in whatever, you'll fix <laughs> something, but you obviously enjoyed our conversation far too much about this. Yeah. But then again, I don't think it's been too bad, we just chat a lot. But you know what I was wanting to say about... I don't know if it's my favourite, um, Jamie, the one of the victims. That's what I think upset the people with his drama. More so, obviously, I think it was Jamie, the one that was from your house in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, he, it was his family were upset because if his name gets Googled, a picture of the victim comes up beside the monster that killed him. Mm. And he also gets it, and they've got him down as being a male prostitute, which mm. obviously... His family are saying, isn't he? he had a young child, he was married or whatever he was, you know, wasn't yeah. a male prostitute. Did you type in your family member's name and that's what comes up? You, there's a picture of, first thing that comes up is a picture of your nephew or your son beside the person that done all that horrible shit to him. Yeah. And then he's the one that's getting branded as like a male prostitute. And Yeah. Yeah, so that's the case of Dennis Nielsen then, guys. So if you enjoyed this, then let us know, obviously. Um, if you didn't enjoy it, let us know. If you didn't know. enjoy it, then let us know as well, because we won't do it again. <laughs> and I'll never ever come on as a guest again. 
you know. Oh, no, I think they'll have enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I think we can but, book yeah. another. Once lockdown's done and I've got my office like bit set up properly, like you can come over and record properly with me one day. Yeah, that would be fun, definitely. But no, mm-hmm. um, that was good. It was really good. So you can check Emma out on her Twitter page at... I know, what is it? I don't even know what my Twitter oh, is. Oh, God, do you want me to look it up for you? Jesus. Oh, does it, they'll see it on, this, on your Twitter if you're, if you're putting this on your Twitter. You can so, just twit me on. Twit me on Twitter. Oh, my God. You can find Emma on Twitter at em underscore taylor17. And she does a really cool blog that's all about her family life in Glasgow and their what what are you doing with caterpillars? Oh not just caterpillars. But yeah, we're doing our John Muir Award. John Muir um, Award, yeah. That's what we're doing. We're doing our John Muir Award. So that's what I'm doing with my small family. Yeah, and you've yeah. got like two caterpillars right now that are like cocooning, well, ready to be butterflies next year or something. Yes, you do. And tops. That's so good. Year fun. We might have two butterflies. Yeah, it's good for the kids. Emma's blog as well also offers like loads of different like activities for kids to do as well that gets them out and about in the garden so it's really cool actually. Yeah well I, I, <laughs> I know it's funny just at the end of like a total serial killer blog now we're on to like, I know and now we're like trying doing to fun talk things about on your nature kids. and fun things mm. yeah on like a non-family totally friendly channel as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were but yeah, it's strange, but yeah. That's funny. But yeah, so if you want to check that out, then check it out because I think it's really good. So, there you oh, go. Thank you, thank you. I've shared it on my Twitter before as well, so the guys can find it on my Twitter link as well. Mm-hmm. So let oh. us know on Instagram or Twitter if you want us to do this again. And as always, the pictures for this episode will be up and I'll definitely be putting a picture up of David Tennant dressed as Dennis Nielsen because that is the freakiest picture I've ever seen in my life. How much they look like each other. So yeah, right, that's I guess okay, then. So it's bye okay. from me. Bye, thank you, and bye, bye from me.